Being already mentioned, uh, starting next week, I'll be going through First Peter, and so I'd encourage you to uh, be reading that and just uh, soaking it into yourself, and uh, you'll get a lot more out of it if you do that as we go through the book. This is the third message on uh, loving the stranger. Uh, we, for those who are new here this morning, we looked at the biblical basis first, and then last week we began looking at cultural differences. A number of years ago, I read about an American who was asked to speak at a large Japanese uh, conference, and so he spoke in English, and a translator was used. Unfortunately, he had come uh, with a lot of humor and uh, jokes in his speech, and uh, the translator was trying, uh, left trying to translate the humor into something the Japanese would under, the audience would understand and appreciate. And on the first joke, it just became too much. And uh, finally, the translator resorted to saying, the speakers just told a joke, would you please laugh? <laughs> and coming from the, what we talked about, the hot culture, and it's all about politeness, of course, they just all roared with laughter. And the uh, speaker thought he really had the audience in his hands, so he used lots of jokes. And every time, the translator would just do the same thing. Well, he went away thinking he had done a marvelous job. And the audience went away not having a clue what he'd been saying in all those jokes. Another story of an English speaker was uh, speaking to an audience uh, from another language and culture and was speaking through a translator. And he began his speech by saying, I'm tickled to death to be here today. And the translator paused had a puzzled look on his face for a moment, and then he finally said to the audience, I'm not sure exactly what he said, but I think he has a serious condition. He's scratching himself to death. <laughs> well, lost in translation. It's so easy when translating from one language to another, from one culture to another. We can't assume that we're doing well. It takes work, it takes educating ourselves, it takes a lot of grace to each other when cultures mix because it's so easy to misunderstand each other to cause offense when no offense was intended. And so as I talked about last week, our goal is to be a multicultural Christ culture, which means taking the principles of scripture and asking how do we apply these principles within the context of a multicultural church. So today I want to continue on talking about cultural differences and what I'm going to give you today is just what I just began at the end last week. It's adapted from Sarah Lanier's book, Born to Familiar. And uh, once again, I encourage you either to buy her book or to order it in through our public library. Last week we looked at how the world is divided into what they call hot climate cultures or warm climate cultures and then cold climate cultures. And so uh, culture may be anywhere on this line, and uh, actually individuals from one type of culture might fit better in the other, but uh, there's the generality here. It, it's a helpful tool to increase our understanding of each other. And again, it's, this is not saying that one culture is better than another culture. It just means we're different, and every culture has its strengths and has its weaknesses. We looked at how the cold cultures are more direct and the hot cultures are more indirect. 
And uh, the last point that we looked at there was the cold cultures are task-oriented and the hot cultures are more relationship-oriented and the difference that makes. So that's where we're going to pick up this week. And so we're going to begin with that direct versus indirect communication or uh, the cold versus the hot. Uh, the cold is the direct, uh, the hot cultures are the indirect. And communication is so key to us understanding each other which makes it imperative that we understand how each other communicates or we end up in miscommunication. For example, you go to Europe and the German cultures, the various German background cultures are very direct in their communication, very precise. And this has helped some of the European German cultures to actually be on the top of, their game, of the game in regards to education, arts and technology over the last century or two. That culture's helped propel them there. You see, direct communication helps create an efficient culture when it comes to task. In a direct culture, you, you usually know what the other person is thinking because they feel free to tell you. They feel free to express their opinion. And to an indirect person, that type of culture, it often feels like the direct person is being very forceful. And so when we're talking as a mixed culture church, if you're from the direct culture, you can be coming across as over forceful to the indirect person and you have no idea that you're doing that. You're just being direct. And they expect, the direct person expects everyone else to be direct back with them. One of our daughters ended up on a team and uh, there was a person on there that was uh, from very direct culture and uh, he was very blunt, just said it the way he, he thought it and uh, he didn't mean any offense. But the whole team didn't know how to handle this. And so they were intimidated and they wouldn't speak up. And the team just wasn't working. And they were all thinking he's a problem. And she came and talked to me about it, and uh, I, knowing the individual very well, I, I explained the cultural differences. And I said, he's not trying to intimidate you. He's not trying to override you. He's just very direct. And if you will be direct back to him, he'll respect you for that. Because he wants you to be direct back to him. When she caught on to the cultural differences, the next meeting she went, and she came back home and gave me a call and said, Dad, it worked. It worked. I just spoke up and I stood in opposition to his opinion. I gave my opinion and we ended up in a good discussion. And the team actually began to work. Now working within this type of culture through much of my years of pastoring, I've come to appreciate that dynamic because you don't have to guess what the person is thinking. You know, usually. And if you don't know, you can ask, and they'll tell you. And in return, you can express your opinion. You see, direct culture values accuracy in communication and short, efficient answers that are to the point are just fine. Now, direct cultures still have their norms of what is politeness and rudeness. But honesty and accuracy is still the value. The problem is, that others from other cultures often feel intimidated by the directness. 
and it shuts them down and they're afraid to speak. Now, as we learned last week in the hot cultures, communication is about feeling good, is about relationship. And so in the hot culture, one is very careful that your personal preferences are not forced on another. And so again, this doesn't work when you are putting them together in a team when you have one person is, in a sense, not from their cultural background, can't force their opinion through, and the other one from their cultural background is natural to do that. And so the one side overrides the other side. And so the directness of the cold culture often comes across as rudeness to the warm culture. And so in the warm culture, rather than stating directly what you want uh, from different cultures, so to have different ways of doing this, but uh, they'll go around in circles, uh, dropping hints, maybe making obscure comments, and the other person is supposed to figure it out, what you want. Now, usually within each culture, there's certain ways to do this, and having grown up in, within that culture, they understand it, and they know how to do it. They understand the cues. But this drives the direct culture person crazy because they have no cultural background to figure it out. They just wish a person would come out and say what they're thinking and what they want. Now, this causes problems when you have a direct culture and an indirect culture get married together. And so the indirect culture, that person goes round and round in the circles and they walk away thinking they've communicated well. The other person totally misses it and doesn't do what they want. Now the indirect culture thinks, well, they don't want to do what I'm asking. But the other one has no clue. And it creates a lot of stress in the marriages. And it can do that in the church too. But the... For the hot culture person, it would be rude for them to come out and forcefully state what they want. And they struggle doing so. So let me illustrate this. A hot culture missionary comes to Canada to serve. And so while he's serving here, he asks, he's asked by a cold culture Canadian, how are your finances? Are you needing more support? Now, if he was direct culture, he would say yes. But being cold culture, he doesn't know what to do with this question. From his background, that question is too direct, too impolite. Yet the cold culture Canadian means well, he is concerned, and he really would like to help out if the need is there. But the hot culture missionary, he answers in his culturally polite way, no, I'm fine, I'm doing just great. Now, in the warm culture, as we talked about last week, the polite way would be engaged gradually in this conversation. So he would say, no, I'm fine. I'm doing great. And they would talk about other things for a little bit more. But it would be expected that the other person would ask again, are you needing finances? And again, he might say, no, I'm doing fine. And it, they would expect that to happen three or four times before he would finally give some kind of answer. Well, no, we are a little short. It might be big time short, but he wouldn't say that. We're a little short. Or he might even do it more indirectly that somewhere in the conversation, he would just mention, well, you know, my roof is leaking and I need to get it fixed. What he's telling the other one, yeah, I do need finances. I do have needs. But he didn't directly connect it. 
But somehow, that conversation in the indirect culture would go on until the other one had figured out what the answer is. But this doesn't happen. The direct culture person is asked. He expected a straightforward answer, and in his mind, he received it. He said, you need finances? And said, no, I'm fine. In his mind, he got a direct answer back. The person doesn't need finances. So what does he do? Well, he was concerned, and he would love to help out. But that person doesn't need it, so he goes on and finds someone who does. Let's illustrate it in a different way. So let's say an indirect culture person is going to Edmonton and an indirect culture friend gives the cues that he wants to ride along. Now he may not ask directly, can I ride along with you? He may say something, well, you know, I, I see in the paper there's some really good sales on in Edmonton. He's given a cue, I would like to go along. Or, you know, it must be really nice to get away for a day, giving a cue that he'd like to go along. Now, the driver, being an indirect culture person, he totally understands this, and he gives an indirect answer. I would love to have you come along. But, you know, the car has only seats for five people, and I already have six people coming along. But no problem, I'm sure we can squeeze you in. Now, do you catch it? He's just told the person he's welcome to come along, so there's the politeness. But indirectly, he has given the cue, no, we really don't have room for you. But he isn't going to be rude and say, no, you can't come along. So he says, you can come along. And the other person is supposed to pick up the cues, no, there isn't room for me. But he hasn't been told no directly. And so he doesn't go. Now, in a direct culture, the person wanting to go along would say, I've been wanting to go to Edmonton. Hey, can I catch a ride with you? And the driver would say, sorry, but the car is full. We don't have room for you. And that's not rejection in the direct culture. It's simply information. It has nothing to do with personal feelings or politeness. In the direct culture, say what you want or it's say what you want or don't ask. In the indirect culture, when the indirect culture doesn't directly say what they want, then the direct culture person assumes that the person doesn't want or doesn't care. In the indirect culture, when a direct person says what they want or freely gives their opinion, to them it comes across as offensive. Also, when the direct culture person asks for something, it's very hard for the indirect culture person to say no because it's impolite to say no directly. And so, Take our church setting. In our direct culture, when we ask for volunteers, in our Canadian culture, we not only ask, we often put pressure on. We might add a little guilt trip, trip or whatever. And the person still can say no. But in the indirect culture, when that person's being asked and you put that little bit of pressure on, they can't say no. And so the direct person culture goes away. Wow, we got the volunteers we need. Not really, re not understanding that these people really wanted to say no. They didn't have the time or whatever. Sarah Lanier was teaching a class when she asked an Asian lady if she would uh, report for her small group. She had had the group, uh, she had given a question for them to go into small groups and discuss the question and then they were to ha choose a person to report back. And, 
So this Asian lady uh, was struggling with English and uh, Sarah tried to make it easy for her. She said, why don't you report for your group and um, you can do it in your language and your husband can translate for you. And uh, the Asian lady's response was a smile and a nod and she said, be happy to, I'd be happy to. And immediately one of the Americans in the class spoke up and said, Sarah, didn't you do that wrong? You asked her a direct question and she's gonna say yes even if she means no, because she can't tell you no directly. At least that's what you've taught us. And Sarah replied, you're absolutely right, I blew it. So she turned to the husband and she said, would you ask your wife if she would mind speaking on behalf of her group? And so he asked her in her language, in, in their language, and then he turned back to Sarah and she said, she asked that she please not be required to share in class. It would be deeply embarrassing for her. She begs not to be required to do so. And all the direct people there just sat there astonished. They couldn't believe what just had happened. When asked directly, she couldn't say no, but when asked indirectly, she was then free to say no. Another example, a tourist asked someone in a warm culture where the post office is. And uh, they'll receive a friendly response, perhaps even directions. When they follow the directions, to their dismay, there's no post office there. Perhaps the village or town doesn't even have a post office. But the warm culture person does not want to disappoint the questioner, the visitor. So they give a friendly answer just to create a friendly atmosphere. But the answer may not be accurate at all. The direct person would have gotten further if they'd taken an indirect method. So one example would be to approach a man and say, would you approach that man over in the corner, uh, on the corner of the street and ask him where the post office is? And so he'll ask the man uh, in the corner, that man will say, well, I don't have a clue. We don't have one, I don't think. So the other guy comes back and says, we don't have a post office. You see, by doing it indirectly through another person, you've given them the freedom to say no. When they can't say no directly. He can do so because he's not directly disappointing the visitor to his country, he's just responding to the messenger. Another example of this is uh, two college roommates. And so you have a cold climate person and you have a hot climate uh, person there. And so the cold climate person says, is my music bothering you? The hot climate person will answer, no, it's fine. But it really is, it's bugging him. Now, if the cold climate person really wants to know, he must be indirect. He might say, what's your kind of favorite kind of music? Ask those kind of questions. When do you listen to music? Do you like loud music? Do you like soft music? Um, and you'll start to figure out what his preferences are and whether your music actually would really bug him or not. So you're doing an indirect approach. Or you could go through a third party and say, would you ask my roommate what he thinks of my music? And from his culture, he's free to tell that person because it's not to you directly. Now, from a person of a cold culture, this seems a very unsatisfactory way of finding out information you want to know. But to the warm culture person, it's quite acceptable. It's a way of learning truth without causing offense. And to the warm culture person, that's of primary importance. And so the cold culture person struggles with this. Why can't their yes be yes and their no be no? Because it's a conflict between cultures. The cold cultures 
goal is information. The warm culture's goal is friendliness. And as I explained last week, when they give you what they think you want to hear from their cultural background, that's not lying. From our cultural background, it seems like that to us. But we do the same thing, as I explained, he came in this morning, and how are you this morning? And some of you lied and said, I'm fine. We're just being polite. It's a conflict between cultures. If you were to say yes to an invitation for the first time, you would appear too forward, too eager in a warm culture. Uh, to the cold culture, this comes across as you don't want to receive the invitation. And when the cold culture doesn't repeat the invitation, then that gives a signal to the warm culture. You were just trying to be polite, but you really didn't want them to come. Uh, the direct must learn to pay attention to, uh, to the cues that the indirect culture is giving. Learn to be sensitive to the indirect culture in that. The indirect culture must learn to be more direct and try to understand that the directness of other cultures is not meant as rudeness, even though it comes across that way in their culture. So let's move on to the next difference here, and that's individualism versus group identity. When you go to the direct culture, the cold culture, it's about I. Uh, warm, indirect culture, it's about we. Now, the church should be both. In regards to salvation, it's I. Each of us personally have to make that choice. And when it comes to my personal accountability before God, it's about I. I am accountable to God for how I live my life. Yet the church, in many of its dynamics, is supposed to be about we. And in regards to relationships and how we function, and uh, we can learn so much from warm cultures in that uh, we aspect. In a cold culture, children are taught from young, you are an individual. You are responsible for yourself you need to learn to think for yourself. You need to have your opinions, express your opinions, your wants, your likes, dislikes. They're told over and over in our culture, you can be whatever you want to be. You have your rights. Look out for yourself. And when someone doesn't do well, others may think, why doesn't he or she make something of himself or herself? And when the person fails, the failure brings shame to the individual, not to the group. And identity is found in personal accomplishment. And so these are just put into our children from young. But in a warm culture, children are taught from young, you belong. You belong to the family or to the tribe or to the village. In New Zealand, some of the warm culture people there had a saying, I belong, therefore I am. Their whole identity is in the group they belong to. Children are taught from young to bring honor to the group. And when the person fails, it's not just an individual shame, it's a shame to the group. And so it's a high value to protect the group honor. The warm culture has a group mentality of inclusivity. 
you share your food, you share your private lives, you share your homes, even your opinions, likes and dislikes are subject to the group as a whole. Behavior must be inclusive, not exclusive. When asked for an opinion in a group setting, the direct culture person will readily give his opinion. The indirect person will probably stop and think of what is the group opinion. And then we'll give that. Often they will defer from giving an opinion, instead waiting for their leader to express the group opinion. And the group leader will speak, and the rest will be quiet, feeling that they were representative. We served at uh, one point years ago in a church that was about half uh, immigrants. And uh, the immigrants, they were all interrelated, either by blood or by marriage. And they formed about half the church. And uh, they were a very patriarchal culture with a clear patriarch over the whole group. And when the patriarch spoke, he spoke for the whole group. Now within their group, they did have opinions and they would share it within their group. And he would listen, but when, then, when he spoke, that was the answer. And from then on, they all support, supported that. It was final. Now this creates a problem in a congregational church when these dynamics are not understood. So let me illustrate this problem. Let's say there's a group of 100 people equally split between direct culture and indirect culture. Now under democracy, we bring the members together and everyone is supposed to give their opinion, share what they're thinking. Out of everyone's opinion, we try to get a group consensus. But of course, not everyone speaks up. So let's say out of this group of 100 people, 10 people speak up. Three of them speak in favor of a proposed motion, six speak against it. So at that point, it seems like 30% are for the change and 70% are against the change. But no one from the indirect culture has spoken up. Then suddenly, one person speaks up. And he speaks for the whole group. The rest are quiet, feeling that he spoke for the group. So that's 50% of your people that are there at the meeting. And so he's for it. That group is for it. The reality is now you have 80% that are for the motion and only 20% against. But if you don't understand this, these dynamics to the direct culture, it feels like about one-third are for it and the rest are against. But the opposite is actually true. And so often decisions are made uh, wrongly. And so just a real situation where that played out, a uh, Christian conference where about 20 different languages were represented of them, all of them from indirect cultures. But the presenters were Americans from direct culture. And in the past, they'd always had done this where the speaker would say a line or two, and then uh, you had these different, 20 different translators. They would then speak that line or two into the, translated into their language. And so that takes time. And uh, the presenters, being Americans, they came up with what they thought was a good idea. We'll just speak continuously. The translators will just speak continuously, translating continuously. 
And so they gathered together all the leaders of the conference, which was split between uh, the indirect and the direct, and all the direct culture people spoke up and said, hey, wonderful idea, great, let's go for it. One person from the indirect spoke up, and he said, not a good idea. Because all the translators, English is their second language. And when the speaker is speaking English, the translator will not be able to keep up. And they'll get lost. Plus, going that, say a sentence or two, and then translate it, it gives people time to absorb what's happening and uh, to tr understand it. The leader, being the American, he says, okay, it's very obvious what the decision is. Almost everyone is for... We just translate while we're speaking continuously, not realizing that the one person who spoke the other way had represented it half of the group, but not only represented half the group, had represented the entirety of the people they were trying to reach. The result was the conference never accomplished what it could have because they didn't understand the cultural differences. We're just going to skip ahead a bit here. I have so much material you could cover and so many stories, and I will skip ahead here to the individualism versus group orientation in the team context. If you can move to that slide. Uh, this is another one that comes that will play out in churches. In the individualistic culture, the team leader is equal to each of the team members. In a sense, we'll use that term, he's first among equals. Uh, or she's first among equals. You have no more say, no more vote than the people that you're leading. Uh, the team leader, in a lot of way, what you are is a facilitator. You facilitate the process. And so Brian here is our chair of the church council. In our cold culture, you are free to question him. You're free to your voice, your opinion. You're free to even oppose his opinion. And the same for me as a pastor. You have that same freedom. To a warm culture, that can seem disrespectful to the leader. In our culture, it's not. In the group culture, the role of the leader is usually stronger and more directive. And so team members often in those cultures are not expected to give a lot of input or to have an opinion. If the leader speaks, uh, you're expected to support the leader, to follow in behind. And so that makes it more difficult to find the opinions, uh, find out the opinions of the warm culture people because they may be hesitant to oppose the opinion of who they see as their leader. If a member does assert himself, uh, often uh, warm culture groups will take the initiative to pull him back into the group to see that he fits into the group. In East Africa, they have a saying that if a nail sticks its head above the rest, we hammer it down. We know of a man from a tribal culture, he took the initiative to start his own ranch. And he did so well until the pressure of the group was so great that he finally gave in and just let it all go. Because you couldn't have one nail sticking up above the rest. And the problem that comes in churches, the direct culture will often expect personal initiative from the indirect culture person but that can be a problem if he or she isn't giving a clear supporting role 
to do it. And then when they are given that role, it can be a problem that they don't see themselves as facilitators, but as the leader who then tells the others to do, and the other team members feel they should be included more. Another problem is loneliness. When a group culture person moves to a direct individualistic culture, they often experience extreme loneliness because they're no longer part of the group that they grew up in, that they understand. And so as we have immigrants come to here, we have to understand that for some of them, this may be overwhelming to them because they're here alone outside of their culture. When it comes to decision-making, when they're here alone, they're used to decisions being made within the group. Decisions are based on we. And suddenly they have to be making decisions based on I and taking initiative. And that can seem very rude to them. We'll move down to inclusion versus privacy. The hot culture is all about including everyone. Everyone is automatically included in everything that's happening at the moment, whether it's a conversation, an activity. A conversation is not presumed to be private. So anyone is just free to walk up and join into the conversation. The value is that no one be alone. And so in some of those cultures, uh, they'll make sure that you're not alone ever, even uh, to providing a guest to stay in your room, or someone to stay in your room so that you are not alone. Some of those cultures, what you'll do is, see, we're scattered this morning. Some of those cultures, the first person will come in and choose where they're going to sit. The next person comes and sits right tight to that person, and they just keep building. You're never alone. You sit tight to each other. We come in and we scatter. It's the difference in culture. Because cold culture is give me my personal space. Cold cultures value privacy more. They see themselves as having a right to privacy, whether in a conversation, a meal, or some quiet time for themselves. And so say, let's say two cold culture people are having coffee together at the coffee shop. A third person will come by and uh, will greet them as they pass by and make a few comments and move on, then giving them their privacy. Unless uh, those two people say, why don't you sit down with us? He expects to give them their privacy. If he does want to sit down with them, he'll ask the question, you mind if I join you? Or am I interrupting? He's showing respect for their privacy. When we were in high level, <clears throat> it was a coffee shop culture there. And uh, many of the men after uh, work, uh, they'd come off shift, uh, they would head for the coffee shop and um, you'd have two people sitting there and they would drop, can we join in? Yeah, sure, sit down. And uh, before it was done, we would um, have several tablefuls full all together. But sometimes we would say, you know, we're in the midst of a meeting right now. We'd love to have you join us, but let's do it another time. And they would move on, respecting our privacy, right to privacy. In a hot culture, you don't expect that right to privacy. You wouldn't say to them, no, we're in the midst of a meeting right now. I'd like to meet with you another time. They wouldn't expect you to say that. They would just come and join in. 
In a hot culture, people are free to come on into your house and join in with whatever is happening at the moment. Uh, they don't need an invitation to do so. They're ex expected to come. It's spontaneous. And if you don't just show up and you wait for an invitation, you may be seen as not wanting a relationship with them. And when you show up, life doesn't stop because you're there. In a cold culture setting, when someone shows up to visit you, life stops. You sit down and you visit. You have to entertain that person. Hot culture person, the activities carry on. You can sit down and just watch them. You can join in. Uh, you can visit while the activities carry on. One missionary talking to me about this said that um, when he first went, then they understood that his culture was different. So at first they would knock, and he would invite them in and uh, ask them to sit down, uh, and they would visit together. But as he got to know the culture, uh, he, when they would knock, he would just invite them in, but he would carry on with his activities. Sometimes they'd join in, often they would just sit there and watch him, maybe talk a bit. Soon they got to the place where they didn't even knock. They just walked in. And when they wanted to leave, they left. They just walked out. But for him, he said, I feel like finally they're accepting me into their culture. Because they're treating me like they treat each other. We struggle, though, in our cold climate cultures with doing that. So uh, when we're at high level, uh, the Crete high level area has a lot of Mennonites. And uh, Mennonites, this is where you'll get cultures can be on both ends of this, cold culture and warm culture, same time in different aspects. But when it comes to communication, the Mennonites, coming from their German background, are a very direct communication style. You voice your opinion, you say what you think, and they expect you to say the same thing back. But they have a wonderful tradition they call FOSPA. And what FOSPA is, Sunday afternoon, they used to go visiting. You never made plans. If you were at home, somebody would just drive in. And they would just walk in and uh, you would visit, uh, you would bring out, uh, the, you just, for Sundays, you always had something there, sandwiches that you could make easily, cold cuts, uh, cheese, uh, maybe some soup that you could just heat up. It was, it was easy hospitality. But you didn't know, you didn't ask them to come they just showed up if you decided you wanted to go visiting you just went driving around until well let's stop here and you go on in totally spontaneous totally warm culture but cold culture generally have a hard time with that it's by invitation you make arrangements ahead of time and when you make the arrangements <coughs> Normal activities stop and you visit or do something together. Uh, in the cold culture, if this isn't prearranged, uh, the cold culture person that's going to visit feels like they're inconveniencing the host or hostess. And they don't want to do that. That's a value. You don't inconvenience the other person. And so they have a hard time acting like a warm culture person there. In a hot culture, uh, Food is to be shared. <coughs> um, hot culture would never take out food in front of others and not offer to share it. Uh, the Japanese have a saying, if you only have one single pea, 
be divided equally according to the number of people in the room. Another saying from another culture is, you bring your basket, I'll bring mine, and together we'll feed everyone. Sarah tells the story of being on a bus in Thailand, returning with other delegates from a conference, and so the entire bus was taken up with delegates. At lunchtime, uh, two European men took out their lunches and began to eat. And that made her hungry, so she brought out her lunch too. And she offered the men some grapes, and they said, uh, thank you, but uh, we have our own lunches. And she then offered them some cookies. No, we have our own lunches. We're good. So she got up, and she went around on the bus to the others on the bus, and it was a mix of uh, Africans, South Americans, and Asians. And they all accepted some grapes, and they brought out their lunches to share, and soon fruit, potato chips, sandwiches, cheese, and other items were all being passed around and being shared. Meanwhile, the two Europeans sat by themselves and ate their own lunches. But they missed the important event of sharing. Because in a hot culture, when everyone shares, no one is aware of the haves and have-nots, no one is left out, and no one is lonely. In a cold climate culture, people struggle to give up their privacy, but we tend to be lonely. In the hot climate culture, they don't expect privacy. They share, everyone is included, and as a result, few people are lonely. Possessions. Uh, in individualistic cultures, possessions are treated as private property and the responsibility of the individual. He takes care of his possessions. I have the right to share mine with you if I want to. I have the right not to share them with you if I want to. From a young age, a cold climate culture person is taught to take care of his possessions. In an inclusion culture, this is reversed. Uh, the culture views most things as ours, not as mine. It's not, I have a guitar. It's, we have a guitar. Not, I have food. We have food regardless of who uh, bought and paid for it. A student coming from China was put into a dormitory with some American uh, men, and um, the Americans had dropped their luggage into the room and had left uh, when the Chinese student had arrived. And uh, when they returned, they found the Chinese student had opened their luggage and was trying on their clothes. <laughs> now the Americans, they were outraged at this invasion of their privacy and property rights. And they expressed their outrage, and the Chinese student was hurt and traumatized and shamed. You see, he came from a culture where everything is we. Everything is shared. Everything is communal property. For him, it's not I have shampoo, it's we have shampoo. It's not you have a suitcase of clothes and I have a suitcase of clothes. It's we have suitcases full of clothes. And so you share them. And so clothes are to be worn, so let's see which ones fit me. And it created the clash. And then I'm going to just skip to the end. There's time and scheduling. When we were in Fiji, son-in-law and I were going to take a bus back to a different part of Fiji there and... Uh, the bus was supposed to leave at 2 o'clock, and we showed up at 2 o'clock, and uh, we paid for our tickets. We got on the bus, and there's one or two other people there, and 15 minutes, 20 minutes went by, and uh, there was an odd few other people came and uh, sat down, and 
I asked him, when are we going to leave? And he says, well, the bus will leave when it's full. Okay, uh, so it doesn't leave on time. Oh, no. If it was full on time, it would leave. But if it's not full, it doesn't leave. Well, as time went on, uh, pretty soon uh, in, in Fiji, there's a lot of East Indians there. And this Indian man came, and um, uh, he sat down. Uh, he wanted the window seat. And uh, most East Indians are not big people, but this guy was. He was bigger than I am. And so he sat by the window seat, and um, I was next to him. And so the two of us, we took the entire seat. Time went on, and pretty soon all the seats were full. And then we finally, another uh, Fijian guy came, and he sat down beside me on the other side. And he was bigger than me. And so I had to scrunch a head on the seat. My shoulders, their shoulders were meeting behind my shoulders. And uh, the Fijian guy, he only got half of himself on the seat. And uh, on the other side, the, the, they only had half. And, and so there was no room in between. But then they still waited, and I asked my son-in-law, he was next seat, I said, so when are we leaving? He says, when it's full. <laughs> we didn't leave until it was people standing all the way down through the center. And we finally left, about an hour and a half later. Now this works the other way. He had two Fijian when he was working as a missionary out in a house at he had brought two young Fijian men over to uh, disciple them. And uh, the rugby team down in Victoria had asked these two guys to come and play on the rugby team. And they'd been down there in a tournament playing. And so now they had to catch a bus back to, to Fino from Victoria. And uh, they show up. They sh Thankfully, they showed up on time. But uh, there was only one or two people on the bus. They bought their tickets. And they sat on a bench in front of the bus depot. And the one guy says, well, I'm going to run over to the store, and I'm going to uh, buy some food to eat on the way. And so the one guy's left sitting on the bench, the other guy's in the store, and the bus up and takes off and leaves. And so they had to phone my son-in-law, and we didn't expect that. There was only a couple people on the bus. They were waiting for the bus to fill up, and time meant nothing to them. And he had to say, that's not the way it works in Canada. It's totally different here, a different culture. Now we could go on and on. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope that you, uh, it starts you on a journey of learning. I hope you've enjoyed what we've done over the three weeks about loving the stranger. Because if we're going to follow the biblical mandate of loving the stranger, we do need to pay attention to these things. We need to learn them. There's so much out there on the internet that you can learn about these things, I encourage you to do so. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that this would just put it in our hearts that we would, we want to be a multicultural church that is a Christ culture, where we take the principles of scripture and together we figure out what that's going to look like in this particular group. And at times there's going to be misunderstandings. I just pray that we could be gracious with each other, forgiving, and understanding. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>